0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Investing City Podcast, where the goal is to get better at investing, business, and life. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, it really means a lot. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. The following is presented for informational purposes only and is not investment advice. This information must not be relied upon in making any investment decision. Investing City cannot be held responsible for any type of loss incurred by applying any of the information presented. Furthermore, securities discussed in this podcast may be held by Investing City and members thereof. Thank you. Okay, on today's episode of the Investing City podcast, we have a part two with Nick Dennis and i really enjoyed our last conversation with nick it was i think the title was something about open-mindedness and i think that that will be a core theme um, even in today's conversation so welcome back nick thanks ryan thanks for having me and it's always good to chat to you and i and uh, i said this before
1: we started recording but um, i think you do such a great job with your with your podcast so and your interviewing and so I just want to make sure that the audience knows that. We
0: start. <laughs> well, that's awfully kind of you. Thank you. So I I think an interesting way to start this would maybe just to pitch the question how have you evolved as an investor since the last time we talked? I think it's been over a year, maybe.
1: Yeah, so, so I've had quite a profound, like every so often you go through these um, You can kind of plateaus a while for an investor and then every so often you you get these periods of uh, quite profound growth and and typically as it happens you go through those periods of growth after struggling in the markets it's it's not often that you learn uh, when you've been really successful so 2020 was a really good year for my fund i run the anchor global equity fund and then last year was a lot more challenging so you know, I've, I tend to focus. I've got a bias towards kind of multi-baggers and the mid-cap, kind of techie uh, growth space. Um, and 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 it was a really challenging year for 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 those for those names last year. And and you know, 2022 has also got off to a rough start for those names. Um, and I think at a point last year, I did a deep dive into, into my own funds history and I looked at the data and I looked at stock level performance. And, um, and, then, I, and then I also did a lot, of, a, lot of, um, a lot of reading and research. I read William O'Neill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks. I read Mark Medivini's uh, two books. And actually, I reread those books kind of multiple times. And I watched a bunch of videos with, uh, with traders that have been successful. Um, there's a guy called Richard Moglin like the ryan reeves but for traders so he's he's quite a big deal like you are Um, and so i learned quite a lot from guys who have quite a different um style than i do and so so one thing i realized about uh, let me go back a step you know the 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 thinking around multi-baggers is you know hendrik besenbander the researcher did a a studies showing that 100% 100% of the stock market's aggregate returns between I think it was 1910 or something and, and, and 2016 came from the, the value creation, the aggregate value creation in excess of treasuries came from just 4% of companies. And so we know that there are these power laws that work in the markets and that we know that there's this small group of stocks on the right tail of the distribution that drive kind of all the returns. It's your, your Netflix, your Amazon, your Teslas, the apples of the market so like logically my thought process was always okay well you want to just focus on those stocks you know um what i what i've got wrong is what i realized that about that is where my thought process was potentially flawed was i kind of ignored the, the left side of the distribution and i and i ignored or pay, didn't pay enough attention to the actual probabilities involved So your probability ahead of time of finding a multi-bagger is super, super low. Um, And so my attitude had been, um, I'd I'd be prepared to give a multi-bagger or potential multi-bagger a lot of rope because my attitude was um, innocent until proven guilty. Actually, that was wrong. Statistically, it should be guilty until proven innocent. It is up to the stock to prove that it's a multi-bagger. You know, a multi-bagger becomes a multi-bagger by bagging. Um, And the stats are quite scary. So it's like, so JP Morgan uh, did a a study and anyone can look it up, it's called um, The Agony and the the Ecstasy. And it's something like they looked at stocks returns relative to the market over their lifetimes and something like two thirds of stocks underperformed the market. 40% of stocks um, delivered negative absolute returns over, over their lifetimes. And something like, um, I think it was perhaps 40% of stocks fell at least 70% from their all-time highs and suffered permanent declines. So they stayed there. And then I read more work from, uh, you know, quotes from from Mark Minovini in his books. And he he had the 50-80 rule, which is 50% of super performing stocks after they make their all-time high fall 80%. And 80% of stocks, 50%. Um, and the average drawdown is 70%. So, so what I realized is, you know, you can hold these multi-baggers and you know, the, the, the returns. So, so you might, I might model an IRR of, you know, a bull DCF, I might model a 30% IRR, 25% IRR over, over a 10-year period. But that's not how they realized in, in real life. Um, you might have a burst of super performance for two years, the stock goes up 200%, and then year three, it goes down 40%, which is brutal, you know. And th- the great ones, at best, they go flat for a few years, like an Amazon that, that's, that's, that's been experienced. Uh, or at worst, they go down, you know, Monster went down 80%, Netflix went down 80%. And that's for the best ones. And, th- and those ones go on to to sort of reclaim all-time highs um, and go on to make new highs. But that's a tiny fraction of... of of companies. And so so I realized I can't just assume that every stock I hold is a multi-bagger, even though that's what I would like to do. So, so I mean, as a result of that, I've, I think um, one of the things I've instituted is a stop loss. I want to know when I'm wrong and I want to know quite quickly. Uh, And that really also came from, from studying the fund zone data. So um, I found that, you know, my big winners tended to win early on and just keep winning. They didn't start out losing massively and then become winners, um, and and you know and stocks that started out losing just tended to stay loose. So so reducing the amount of losses would have been transformational to to the fund's returns. And you know typically people use valuation as a as a way to kind of manage risk and. I'm not convinced that valuation is, is super effective in, in doing that. And so I, try, and I see that as a valuation as an indirect way of controlling for losses. So I've just decided to take a direct approach, control losses by controlling losses. Um, and then the second problem is, and I think it's quite important to say that, you know, I'm a, as, as a fund manager and I'm managing other people's money, it's very different from managing your own account. Uh, and one of the restrictions I have is no position can be larger than 10% of the fund. So if you happen to, you know, to buy as a, as a private investor, you, you find the next Tesla. You know, if Tesla becomes 40, 50, 60% of your portfolio, um, that can offset you know a number of other companies going to zero. But because I'm capped, um, I've got to keep on trimming Tesla. And so the impact uh, on the overall portfolio has got to be smaller. And so I just, I just have to find a way of court, sort of chopping off that left left tail um, of the distribution, and then I think you know the other thing I found out is, you know, I and this this you know this can come down to personality and and temperament and your beliefs about the market and investing. But um, there's a saying, and it's we we tend to underestimate these kind of cliched and hackneyed kind of sayings which like and, and the big one for me is the trend is your friend and where I've made biggest returns have been when when the stocks that I own have you know been in uptrends and been in alignment with the market with the market's narrative whatever that is at the time being um, and it's almost by by, defini- by definition it's going to be true like you make money when your stocks are going up obviously <laughs> and so I think the lesson for me also is um, generally, I think you don't want to fight the markets. Uh, you fight the market long enough, you're going to lose. And so you know that, that might sound like heresy to a lot of people, which is which is fine, and everyone's got different approaches and time horizons. But I also want to put the odds in my favor, and I think Mark Minveni in his book also said that something like 95 percent of Super performing stocks. And that's really what I want to hold. Um, 95% of super performing stocks stocks were in what are described as stage two uptrends. So that's like stage one is the sort of the basing period, stage two is when you the sort of upwardly stoping moving averages, stage three is when they chop sideways, it's like distribution, and then stage four is like going down, like you know, peloton or or, or whatever. So that sort of, um, at a high level, is is, uh, is is kind of been my evolution, and yeah, maybe it summarizes saying like, I, you know, the, the mark just incorporating the market has been uh, as an almost direct part of my process has become more important, uh, and and trying to align myself with the market rather than fighting it. Has, has become and, and like I've never well I was I was probably a big purist 15 or 10 years ago. Um, and I think Nick from 10 years ago would be disgusted with Nick now but <laughs> but that's okay and um, I think I think there are plenty of lessons there in the market for you um, and you know it, it, it's up to you to to absorb them or, you know, or, or to say, look, I don't agree with the market and ultimately the market's going to agree with me, but that's, that's probably not, that's not really the course that I've
0: taken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I admire, you mentioned the word heresy and, you know, to fundamental investors, technical analysis is considered heresy, but I do admire the open-mindedness to really reflect. And I mean, it's interesting, um, I think you said this earlier, maybe in uh, an email, but just the, the orientation of what well, you said, it, and basically um, the stock is guilty until proven innocent. It comes from a position of I'm not right versus I am right. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? Is that kind of the gist? Yeah. So, so,
1: um, so I have been influenced by guys like Mark Minovini and and various traders and there's guys like Oliver Kell who who, who made over 900 percent in 2020 and and so you can find interviews with these guys and you know Mark Minovveni made over 300 percent last year and you know various other guys made 300 percent 400 percent in 2020 and you know and and so I look at that and say, I can learn something from these guys. You know, I, I didn't make 300% last year. I don't know if you did, Ryan, but I certainly didn't. Um, and so you can always learn. And I think there's consistent messages that come from them. And the biggest one that, that comes from them is just cut losses, cut losses, cut losses. Because they, un- they understand the geometric nature of of when you take a loss. And so, you know, you're down 50%. Now you've got to, I've got to make 100% just to get back to where you were. And the problem with growth stocks in particular is that, I mean, they, the stocks move so much quicker than the fundamentals. And the stocks, the stocks move far more quickly than, you know, if you wait for the fundamentals to, to deteriorate, and they're so sensitive to the marginal change. And you, you, you can't, it's easy to underestimate it until, until you're in it and you could sit there going, oh, the market's too bearish or that, that report was fine or like, don't, I don't understand it market's not being rational. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you might think the market's irrational, but the market sets the price. And if you want to sell it and convert that share into cash, like the market dictates the price. Unfortunately, you don't get to say to the market, no, no, my DCF is right. Like you, you, you need to pay me a hundred dollars and, and not the 50, which, which is so. The, the, in some ways the, like that is, it's, the share price is the ultimate truth, whether you disagree with it or not. Like that is, that's something that we can both agree on. Um, we can totally disagree on your DCF or my DCF or your WAC or my WAC or your terminal growth rate. There's no, there's no forcing function that says that the market has to converge to anyone's estimate of intrinsic value over time. Like that's just, that's, that's a commonly held belief that's, I think it's neither provable, nor disprovable. So I'm not sure what you do with that. But so, so you know, to go back to the lessons from, from the traders, is that a recurring theme that I, that I get from, you know, apart from cut losses, and, and I think that that, that bit about cut, cutting losses comes from like a deep respect for the market. Um, but the, the fundamental attitude, I think, of traders that is so different from investors is the, the trader says, Uh, looks at the market, says, I'm probably wrong. The investor says, looks at the market and says, the market's probably wrong. (laughs) And so that leads to a profound, different attitude towards risk being right or wrong. And I think the traders, and and as I follow, they'll they'll say, no, I made X, Y, Z mistake, and I messed that up, and I need to improve in ABC. I see this repeatedly, that I, I got that wrong, um, whereas investors will be like, no, the Fed is wrong, <laughs> or other investors are irrational, or yeah. it, these traders on Reddit are so stupid. And I mean, that stuff might be true. It might not be true. I don't know what you do with any of that. But what I do know is your, is your share price is down 40%. And so what do you do with that? Um, so I think this, this attitude of, well, saying, look, up, there's a good chance I'm wrong here. The odds of this being a multi-bagger are really low, um, and so it is up to that stock to to hit, keep hitting new all-time highs, and for the company to keep executing and smashing it up the park. Because I want to hold my companies to a high standard. Um, as I said in the, I think in our previous discussion, these companies are not my children. You know, they don't deserve mm-hmm. my unconditional love. Um, I have to report to to, to sort of outside investors. Um, and so the bar is pretty high. But then the other thing is also that my my ego is not so attached to to individual decisions. You know, it's not, I'm not wedded to it. If a stock doesn't work, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it doesn't diminish me in any way. It's just, you know, it's um
0: it's almost to be expected. Mm. You mentioned the sizing limits in the fund of 10%. You, you know, if you have a huge winner that accounts for a bunch of losers, um, that's amazing. Do you think if you had different sizing limits, this uh, expiration would be different? Or do you feel pretty similarly, no matter the sizing limits? Um, it,
1: it doesn't. Yeah, so, so it's definitely... It definitely sharpens the focus, and it, it definitely sharpens the focus on the left hand side of the distribution and, and taking losses. Um, the sizing doesn't change the the probabilities of being of being successful, and it doesn't change the it it doesn't really change the odds, and it and it doesn't change the the non linear way in which returns are realized. Um, and so, you know, if, if I'd had, let's say a 60% position in Tesla, hypothetically, um, and let's say Tesla was the full, you know, 50%, and that, that meant a 30% hit for, for the fund, you know, my, my investors are still going to be going through a world of pain. And particularly for, for, for investors that have come in later. So, and then the problem still is, um, you don't like you don't know if that is it forever. So, I, mean, I think you know we, we look at examples of like Nick Sleep who 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 did you know amazingly well and Amazon grew to forty or fifty percent of his portfolio and um and that's what and that's what we look to, um, but but equally but you only hear about the Nick Sleeps because they're the success stories. You don't hear about the nine hundred. Uh, 999 other fund managers who who got carried out, and and so there's, there's something to be said for for um, you know really making sure that you survive first, and uh, like Mark Minervini, he's like he so so there is a tension because you do want to let your your winners run, um, but but you also want to save yourself from from catastrophic loss or not even catastrophic. Well, ca- you know, catastrophic loss is always potential. You, you never know. Um, but, but a loss that really just sets you back, you know, years and years. So it is. It is a. It is a balancing act. Um, and I, I look. I still don't have the right answer. And I, you know, hopefully, over time, you get closer towards the, the right answer. But the, the, I think there is something. Uh, you, you, you know, so maybe you, you know, maybe you, you sort of, you, you you trim your position and you leave the core going, or I don't know, but that's that's kind of what I'm working on and having almost like a trailing stop loss. Um, and look, the other way I think is you also want, you also want to maximize your future IRR as opposed to maximizing a multi-bagger. So like if you've got a 50-bagger, and you think it could become a hundred bagger? That's a double, but that's no good if it takes ten years, you know. So you could find another. If you could find another multi, like a one bagger, uh, or, 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 sorry, double bagger over the next six months or the next one year, that's better than you know your fifty bagger turning into a hundred bagger over the next ten years from a from a IRR perspective, mm. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, so with the stop loss. Are you just going immediately to cash or, or just talk through some of the mechanics of that?
1: Yeah. So, so the one thing is, is that the stop loss is, you know, so remember that I've got an equity mandates. Um, I, I can't, I can't go to say a hundred percent cash. So I've made the stop loss alpha or attribution based at the fund level. So, you know, so if, because I can't, in the, in the case that, say we go into a severe bear market, I, I, can't, you know, I can't be liquidating the whole thing. Um, so I've got cash limits in terms of how much cash I can hold. Um, uh, oh yes, okay. okay. So, so I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got a stop loss. Um, you know, I, I'll start with a starter position and then I've got a, a, a stop loss that, that's based on that size. And if the stop loss is hit on the starter, then I'm out. Um, and no questions asked. It's not a it's not a preset stop, but it's a, a you know I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll see the, the alpha or the attribution, and then I cut it. Um, and then and then if and what I won't do is I won't add to the stock if it's showing negative alpha or negative attribution. It must be working. I don't want to be averaging down. Um, that's a general lesson that I've learned too. Other people might do it extremely successfully. I'm not one of those people. I, I would rather average up than down. Um, and, and I know that's, that is heresy too. Like if you liked it at 100, you'll like it more at 75, you'll like it even more at 50, and you'll, you'll love it at 10. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's not what I want to do. Um, and then, but if I scale up to a full position, uh, then, there's, a, then, then there's, another, there's another stop loss. And if the stop hits, uh, you know, initially I'll go to cash, the, ideally, I will roll out of that, the one multi-bagger and go, and go into another multi-bagger that's setting up constructively. The challenge with that, though, is like, well, like 2020 and 2021, um, that can work if, they, if your positions are not correlated. But very often, these high-growth kind of tech companies, the, you know, the names that you like to run are, they tend to be highly correlated together. It actually doesn't matter. Even if the underlying businesses are vastly different, they move together. And that's, that's a function of liquidity and, and flows. Um, so a modification to the process is to be okay, if these, are, if these are not acting well, then, then I'm happy to buy like a more kind of classic compounder type name, a, you know, like a, I mean, hypothetically, like a Visa or a MasterCard or a Constellation software, uh, you know, those classic kind of names. Um, as long as the, you know, as long as the company's executing well, stocks in an uptrend, you know, you know, the base, the, the same kind of criteria that, that I'm looking for. Um, and then, you know, failing that, if, if, if those are not working, um, if I'm getting stopped out, and this has been the case lately, if I'm getting stopped out of the high growth names, then I'm getting stopped out of the mature companies, and nothing's things working, then, then the cash sort of ultimately balloons to the, to, 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 to the kind of the max. And that's really um, I found also that that's given me a lot of information about the market. If you're putting on trades and they're not working and they're not working and they're not working, and I think towards the end of last year, like I was I was putting on small startup positions and they were just getting stopped out one after the other, after the other. And that was very frustrating at the time, but it was as a sign of kind of the market environment. Um, and and you know, and so my cash balance rose. And, and that's, that's prevented me from having much larger losses in these names. Um, so the fund is not shooting the lights out at the moment by any stretch, but it could have been so much worse, so, so much worse. And look, the other, the other benefit is um, is also just kind of, you're not only protecting your financial capital in a, in a, in a really tough and hostile environment, but, but also just just protecting your mental capital because just taking you know loss after loss, you know we we discussed this beforehand. But you know some 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 investors don't feel losses at all. I think they are psychopaths. <laughs> but uh, and and I've got a reasonable tolerance for losses, which actually I think has hurt me because you end up not doing anything when you should. Um, but but I don't want to see endless. I can't take endless pain in my portfolio. And I think the point that I've also made to you before is, I think most of us have a capitulation point where, you know, and, and ironically, the stronger you are, the worse, because the lower that capitulation point is. And so if I'm gonna capitulate, I'd rather just capitulate early. Um, and, the, and, and I'll tell you the, the, the other thing is, um, I'll give you two examples is, of the kind of the mental side in 20 i think it was 2018 i bought nvidia badly and then i got absolutely smoked um thankfully i didn't have a massive position but it took a lot of pain as I remember like it was a lot of the earnings were crypto related crypto, and, the, yeah. and the stock just got absolutely drilled and then i then i you know then i was listening to i've done a lot of work in it but then i was listening to some other investors talk about Nvidia and semis and I was like wow these guys are just at the next level of expertise that I'll never get to so I was like I decided it was an expertise problem and then you know needless to say Nvidia's gone up a million percent since then (laughs) and then and then roll forward and then people but at the same time people who weren't experts you know next to nothing about GPUs and chips have managed to hold that and make you know a 10 bagger and then roll forward to 2020 last year, I bought Carvana pretty much close to the top. And then I think at one stage, Carvana might have been down 70%. And i done like a decent amount of, like a lot of work on it, actually. And I believe there was a multi-bagger, that multi-bagger potential. But at one stage, it was down 70% in, in March 2020, I think. And um, some people would, would be completely chilled through that old experience. I, I wasn't one of them. Um, that thing, that, that experience really scarred me. And so I didn't sell at the bottom, but I sold it partially on the way down and partially on the way up. And then the stock went up another million percent. Now, what I think is if I'd, if I'd managed to keep the loss in each of those positions relatively small, I would have been in a mental state to look at them, say in six months or nine months or whatever the case is, and go, okay, let's let's have an- another look at this. Where if you take an absolute beating, your mindset is often never again. I just I just can't even look at that. So, so I think, mm-hmm. so I think it's stock it can be quite useful from that perspective, and just be like, you know, there's less kind of sort of baggage associated with. With, with those kind of with those kind of losses um, and the nice thing about the stock is it's quite a nice um it's it's one decision that can replace hundreds of future decisions so every time like okay you'll be down say 20 percent and if you work in a big team then the the the, the, the portfolio manager can can for, it will have a meeting with the investment committee the analyst will, Will come. They'll tweak the numbers in the DCF. They'll phone the sell side. They'll speak to the management. There'll be a couple of meetings, and they're like, "Okay, uh, well, let's hang on." And then it goes down another twenty percent. Then you have another meeting, and then you tweak the numbers again. And then eventually, eventually, you capitulate sixty percent down. Um, and if you, and if and if you're not and if it's just you, then you still like okay, the the earnings were were poor, but uh, I think you know maybe next quarter will be better or. You know, well, let's just see, and then, and and or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's maybe the market's being irrational, or maybe this factor will change or whatever, and it's it's just so much complexity and it's so hard, you know, you mm-hmm. just don't know. Whereas this is like, okay, gone, just just clear the decks, and the thing is, you can always go back. There's nothing stopping you from from going back. So, I don't know. My initial. Take after having implemented it for, um, you know, less. I would say less than six months. So it's still a new thing for me, but and it's also a function of you know granted the function of the current environment, which is really tough. Um, but it's been enormously valuable, um, and it's and it's really it's it's it really helped a lot. So,
0: very interesting. I love the piece on the mental baggage. Um, kind of stopping scars before they happen. And that frees your mind to view it less emotionally. Um, So with the stop loss, the relative attribution, so is that versus the index? That's versus the index. Yeah. Okay.
1: So it's just like, you know, if the stock falls, so the index is down 10, the stock is down, say, 20. uh, It's like 10% underperformance times a 5% weight is, uh, you know, a, a 50 basis point sort of
0: negative alpha at the portfolio level. Gotcha makes a lot of sense. I like that it's that because I feel like one problem with this approach could potentially be just getting whipsawed. Um, but you're sort of saying that if there's huge whipsaw action, then the market, in terms of the technicals, is probably not at its healthiest, right?
1: Yeah. So look, I think there will be times when potentially you you do get chopped up. Um, it could be choppy and so but it's in some ways it's like it's like insurance really um uh you know you you, i don't i don't think it would be a net negative actually uh over time so it's not like insurance it's not like an insurance premium but it is like an insurance premium in the sense that sometimes there will be a a big payoff in terms of you getting out of those really ugly situations Um, and so you want this uh, the other thing is also like you I, I always put on a starter position and uh, so that's that's one way of like, if if you start building alpha in a position, then that's very frequently a good sign that okay, you, you are you are onto something good. and if you start bleeding straight away, okay, well, let's you know, either get stopped out or it's like, okay, well wait wait for it to, Actually, recover and start delivering some 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 alpha, and then you know, okay, odds are obviously no guarantees that okay that that, that the story is is on track, and you know the, the odds increase that that, that 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 the trend will be positive. Um, yeah, I, the, 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 but because it is relative to the market, I think the odds the odds are less of you kind of getting. Getting chopped, chopped to pieces. Um, but the other thing that I that I that that am I'm implementing going forward is even on your starter positions. If you're doing a number of trades that aren't working and you're getting stopped up, that probably means you should go in smaller in your next one. And and you'll hear great traders say this: like if things are working, uh, get bigger. If things aren't working, get smaller. And so that was a lesson, like, you know, after, after a couple hadn't worked, I'm like, okay, that, that should have been, been a sign, like, just
0: get smaller, quicker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so in terms of adding, you mentioned adding on the way up, it, do you have a process for that? Like, okay, it's up 20%, I'm going to put on a few more bips, or, like, is there a, Look, an I do outline for that? that?
1: yes yeah, so um i ideally you want to you want to add to a, a stock when it's like when it's kind of consolidating or, or you mean when it's sort of just either, either when it's kind of consolidating or just breaking out of a consolidation area to just buy it after it's gone because what stocks tend to do is they tend to have these bursts and then the kind of the move then they'll kind of the they then the moving averages will, will catch up either through the stock going down or the, through the stock kind of going sideways. Um, ideally, you don't just want to be chasing that big up move. Ideally, you want to buy it sort of in a consolidation period where, where it's quite sort of tight around the moving averages. And ideally, you also want to buy it where after a period where like the the volatility of the stock is contracted. So. You look at the chart from like left to right you just see the swings just compress 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 like like tesla um in uh sort of between feb and kind of june last year it, it had these big swings and then compressed 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 compress. and then i think it was after earnings then you had a big breakout in volume and that was like a really good time to to size up so if you're just doing it I, I, like so you don't want to just have a blanket rule where where you kind of chasing into that kind of extended move above the moving averages, because typically uh, you're gonna get smacked back down or, or it's gonna go through, well, at, you know, at best, a, a period of consolidation. Um, that's, that's kind of a, you know, and I'm no technical expert, I'm not a technical um, analyst, but I've just, over time, I've just noticed these patterns time and again, and it's mostly because, and, and if I go back and look at my successes, even when I wasn't aware of them, that is actually largely what was at play. Mm. And, and like the other thing is, in terms of when you sell, like something that William O'Neill covers in his book um, is these exhaustion runs. So like you saw with Zoom in late 2020, uh, even you saw with Tesla at the beginning of uh, last year. And then I think it was earlier this year, um, a number of those, actually, that whole growth space, Feb, Feb, uh, sort of late January, early Feb 2021, you get these, after a long run-up already, your stocks will have their, 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 their biggest weeks kind of ever and they just seem to go parabolic. Uh, and then at the time that we're feeling just like absolute geniuses and rock stars, <laughs> that is really a good time <laughs> to, to, to take a meaningful amount off the table. Mm. Um, and it's, and so it's different depending where you are. You know, if, if you get these big runs coming out of a correction, that, that's a different story. But if it's like 18 months after a stock's already had a big run, that's a, that's a, that's a really big warning sign. And it, like it really, you, you've got to pay attention to that. And unfortunately, I haven't always. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've got more knowledge now than I had then. But um,
0: these patterns do tend to repeat. It's, it's amazing. So this is exhaustion runs are they like a certain percentage above the moving averages or a certain percentage in a, in a week or is it, does it vary quite a bit?
1: So there's a, there's, a, um, there's a list of criteria which I've written down somewhere. I, I haven't memorized it, but it's like, it'll be the, you know, from memory, it will be the, some of the biggest weekly moves, uh, either dollar-wise or percentage-wise since the start of the run. And typically on, on very high volume. And so it's like when when the whole when the whole crowd ultimately sort of gets in on the story. So it's like very late in the game. And typically it'll be very extended past to say the 50-day moving average or the 21-day relative to that stock's own kind of history. So if it's like, and we could see this like with Cloudflare last year, um, you just had that massive exhaustion run. Um, I didn't sell that perfectly, but um, it got to a point where um, where, where I just thought, oh, this is this could be game over." We um, also on the way down. where just you know, you know, names like C and Cloudflare had been so strong, and they backed the trend of a lot of the other sort of weaker names. Um, but I guess I just felt like just given how poorly the rest of the space was acting, I just thought, oof, um, the, the clock is ticking, yeah. So hmm. I think that was a
0: realization I had. So, are you looking at moving averages fairly often, or is it purely the attribution relative to index in terms of the stock? Well, in terms of like, I'm, I guess the question is more okay, previously you're 100% fundamentals. Now, is it like 50 50? Is there a breakdown? Is it 100% how the stock um, is moving? I'd, look, I don't think I've.
1: I don't think I've ever been purely fundamentals. Um, like the pro- the process that has evolved because I've looked at the charts and said, oh, Shopify went up 500% and I don't own any. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, look, you know, even in the purely fundamental asset managers, you go, you walk over to the desk and say, oh, have you heard of, um, XYZ stock. The first thing that they're going to do is pull up a chart, like almost without exception, like that just that just happens. And because a picture is worth a thousand words, um, I think I'm at a place where I really want to see alignment between, between the two. Like if it's an amazing fundamental story and the stock's in a in a just a horrible downtrend, uh, that's that's massive information right there. Um, if look, if I'm not, look, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to buy, the fundamentals are, are still important. So I'm not going to buy a pre-revenue biotech just because it's going up. Like I just, that's just, it's not, that's not what I do. But it, it, it comes with, uh, you know, I'm, I think you, what I want to do is, there's often a disconnect between kind of theory and practice. for for investors and we can be very kind of stuck in in theory. Um, And look, I'm just trying to find the the, the threads that connect those two together. And I'm also trying to find the threads that connect the short term with the long term. And so, you know, and part of that is just understanding how how stocks really work as opposed to how they should work or how Ben Graham says the world works or or whatever. so it really is about, I really have learned through painful experience that I want to be aligned with the market and I want to have things in uptrends and I don't want to be in stocks and downtrends. Uh, and I think it's about probabilities. Um, and, and so, so, so yeah, that, that's, just, that's just where I want to be. And that might not be appropriate for other investors, um, but, um, So, so yeah, so I'd say that sort of technicals, you know, play an increasing role, but but it's quite simple, really. It's not not so much momentum as just like, uh, is the trend with me, you know? And so there must be the fundamental trend and the technical trend. So so I think both, that's when you make the the really big returns. And ultimately, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to be a Ben, like as I, said, I think I said the last time. I'm not here to be a value investor or a Ben Graham investor or a multi-bagger investor or Peter Lynch, or whatever. I'm Here to generate returns, and you know, everything is in service of that. That's the goal. Um, and if and if a technical tool can 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 do that, and if I can learn something from a trader who's who's made 900% in a year, brilliant. You know, who's for, it, it's. <laughs> It would be insane for me to say, no, like, Mr. 900%, like, no, you've got it wrong because, you know, you know very little about the fundamentals. And did you know that Ben Graham said that? That would be, be, uh, I'm not sure what he would say to that. He'd
0: be like, I don't care. He'd be
1: like, who's Ben Graham?
0: (laughs) Wow, yeah, I mean, really, definitely, feel that everything is in service of returns it's not about ideology right um because like the 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 interesting thing with beliefs and
1: ideology is we we actually don't realize how that how much we are controlled by them and how we, we don't control our ideologies they control us and our beliefs actually control us and they control the way that we view the world. Um, And so, you know, if you believe that valuation is ultimate truth and gravity, well, then you interpret the entire world through that lens. And so the guys will say, look at Cloudflare as an example and say, ah, you see, valuation matters. Well, okay, but it started started last year on 40 times uh, revenue to forward sales, which by by anyone's measure is like ridiculous and ridiculous relative to history. And then it went up to 100 times forward sales and it went up 150 plus percent. So so if you never held it, I don't know how you can get to say I told you so afterwards based on this whole valuation kind of ideology. Mm. So, so the ideology is like... I mean, there is good stuff out of it, and 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 I think, look, if if reading Warren Buffett has helped you to hold on to Amazon for the last ten years, brilliant, you know. And the endowment, like, behavioral biases get a bad rap, but they can be really useful. Like, like the positive side of the endowment effect in treating a stock like your child is that maybe you hold a multi-bagger for ten mm-hmm. years. Right. That's really good, you know. That's that's kind of rationally, that's irrationally rational, rationally <laughs> irrational, whatever. Um, but there's some there's some really there's some there's some downsides too. So that if you only interpret the world through the teachings of Warren Buffett or whatever, and I'm not discrediting him because he is an amazing investor, but I'm not Warren Buffett. Don't have his mandate. I don't have his makeup, etc. I don't have his capital. And um, you know there, there are that's that's not sort of kind of ultimate truth. And just just thinking about it through that lens is, I think, is limiting. Um, and so there are different ways, you know, and there's, there's, there's many, I think there are many ways to skin the cat and there are, are there's, there's so many ways to generate returns. Mm-hmm. So I think it's helpful to be open to them and mm-hmm. just, you know, making that align with your own personality and temperament and all of that. You, you can't implement someone else's system. And if mm-hmm. it works for you, great. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine,
0: you know. Right yeah i mean one thing i admire about you is it i think you're fiercely pragmatic it's like i'm gonna look at the past and see what's working and see what's not and then i'm gonna do something about that rather than just holding on to an idea um so i think that i really commend you for that
1: it's um it's really hard because also what i do is very public and so I've got investors and I communicate with them publicly and I sort of write letters or, you know, I'd be on webinars and things. And I'll say, I believe X. And then, and then at some point in time, I'll say, well, I, I believe that, but, but this is where I was wrong because of X, Y, Z. And what I, and, and you, and it's almost, well, not almost always, it's, it's pretty much always based on data and analysis and, a, and, I think an evolved understanding of how markets actually work and how I work and how I'm how I'm kind of constructed. And so um, when it's easier when your North Star is returns, you know, say, okay, what moves me closer to, 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 to generating better returns, getting better at having holding, finding and holding winners, and getting better at just sort of cutting losers. And so, and and the thing is to detach your ego from all of that. You know, it's like. You know, and, and also, as you know, as a, um, if you're managing public money, you, you know, you, when you're doing well, you're a, you're a rock star at best, or, or, or people just expect those returns anyway. And when you do, when you're doing badly, it's like when you're struggling, it's like you've got leprosy. And so, you also can't take either of those too seriously because, you know, and so you can't take yourself too seriously. You, you, you can't live or die by an ideology. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's just not helpful. So, and if you almost make it your, you almost got to make it your, your persona, or it's like, you know, I will, I will do what it takes to, 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 to generate those returns or including change myself. Like, don't, like I make that, see that as a strength rather than as a weakness. Like I had that idea, I was wrong, now I'm moving closer to being right. What a win for me. Like how awesome is that? You
0: know? mm, totally. I think the identity piece of that is so huge. Cause if you're, I'm a value investor who likes, you know, low multiple stocks, that's your identity. Changing it is oof, yeah, almost impossible versus yeah. I'm a person who gets closer to the truth. And regardless of what you think is the truth in but Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I'm curious about your, how have your clients received this evolution? If you don't mind sharing that.
1: Um, so I've, I've had relatively limited feedback. So I try to be really transparent um, and say, look, this is, this is the thought process. This is how I've changed. <clears throat> and this is why. And it's backed by research and analysis and, and facts. I think people appreciate the, the, um, the like the candor and the transparency. Also, I said in the letter, like, you know, this is what the fund did over this period. If I hadn't made the changes, this is what it would have looked like, and that's a really ugly number. So I think they go, okay, wow, that, that really helped a lot. We we, we appreciate that. Um, but you've always, I mean, and coming back to my point about how you perceived, and you can't take that too seriously. There's always going to be someone who's going to criticize what you do. Um, uh, most likely, you know. And so you, I think you've got to, you know, sometimes take the criticism on, on board, but you, you, you cannot do this for for your North Star has got to be doing the right thing, even if, even if people don't agree with you, or even if they sort of criticize you. You know, because they ha- they haven't done the work that you've done. They are not in the trenches. Um, they haven't done the analysis. And so it's very easy to criticize from, from the outside, but um, so you, only you can know actually the, what really happens. But look, thankfully, people have actually been pretty constructive. Um, I was expecting more blowback, but, but there hasn't been. And the, the thing is, if I've been consistent, and I, I mean, to your previous point, the, this industry loves kind of consistency and that's almost seen as a virtue in and of itself. You know disciplined, consistent, we've done the same thing hundred for that last hundred years. And these things, there's often a, two sides of the same coin. The, these things are kind of a, what's positive can also be a negative. So on the one side can be discipline, on the other side can be stubbornness. Um, but then on the one side of being opportunistic, on the other side is being flaky. And so that's a fine line. Um, so but you've just got to stay true to yourself. And uh, you've just got to do what you think is right. Even, even if other people disagree with you and even if it makes you look stupid for a bit, you know? Uh, but it's hard, like, it, it's, it's not,
0: it, it isn't easy. Um, not easy at all. Hmm. So just, I mean, you mentioned buy stocks and uptrends. What does that actually practically mean? That means it's above a, moving average or yeah just kind of go off that
1: yeah so i think i mean ideally you're looking for you'd you'd want to buy the stock um like where sort of like both your shorter and longer term moving averages are are actually sort of trending up um like your 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 50 day your your, maybe your 150 day or 200 day you want them to actually be curving up and you want the stock to be ideally above that. Um, and look and conversely if look you don't want to be you, you don't want to be radically sensitive to the 50 day because then you're going to be chopped to pieces because like see, you know it went to the to into the 50 day multiple times and, and the stop loss I think is different where like if you've got a big cumulative gain, um, you, you kind of manage it differently. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want, also, don't want to be chopped out of a, out of a massive win at the first sign of, at the first sort of pullback. Like that that's like, I'm not a day trader. Like my, my 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 ideal holding period is still like just indefinite. I'd love to just hold stocks for for indefinitely, um, but but so 50 day. You know, don't, don't be too obsessed by it, but, but, kind of, but kind of watch it. That's the first sign of trouble. Um, but you know, once a once stock is below the 200-day, uh, start, you know, and it depends on the market conditions. And if your 200-day starts sloping down and the stock is below it, I mean, that's when ugly things happen. But then also what you've seen now is these stocks and these deep corrections, like these growth names, what's happening is they get oversold, and then they will, and then they will sort of bounce back up to the ten day or twenty one day. And then just when you're thinking, "Oh, it's over," thank goodness, they they sort of just turn off those moving averages and puke back down again. And that's just what just what kills you in in sort of these trends is just you just get just get murdered, you know. And just as you 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 have hope, and then they roll over again, and, and they make new lows, and then new lows and the you know. The bounces happen on weak volume and the sell-offs happen on on heavy volume. And uh, it's just never-ending.
0: So that's not fun. So you want to put that as much as possible. And when, so you're mentioning, because like when COVID happened, the market was down 40% in a few weeks. And the correction, the bounce back was so fast that I'm just trying to think practically, I mean, it's a very unique situation. People say the Fed stepped in and like correction. I mean, bounces will never be that fast typically, but just practically, okay, you sell when your relative performance is your attribution. Okay, you're out. You're yeah. big chunk of cash and the market's down now 15%. It hits down to 40. And then we start bouncing back. At what point is like I'm trying to understand then you, it's like above the moving average or it's a certain relative strength or when, when are you actually deploying the cash back? Um, look, so my, so my mandate
1: is I can't have more than 30% cash. So um, it's like if, if stocks, the stops are being hit, then, I, then I've got to, I've got to be buying something else. Um, and uh, you know, that's, in the, in that case, it would, yeah. Ideally, it's it, it would be stocks showing showing relative strength. I guess it depends where you are, kind of, in the correction. Um, like William and O'Neill, he's, they've got a kind of their indicator called the follow through day, which is they say all all bull markets have started with the follow through day, which happens I think uh, on day four or later of a kind of a rally attempt, and they define all these measures. Um, but not all follow through days lead to a bull market. So it's like a, it's like a necessary but not kind of sufficient condition. Um, but what you did notice is and look like a lot of this stuff is you, you you'll have these you'll have these kind of rules and ideas but then you'll be confronted with a totally different situation which which kind of throws all of that out the window and you've just got to kind of improvise improvise on the fly and you you add that to your next set of rules for the for kind of the next cycle. But what was interesting coming out of the COVID crash is your names like the big winners like, like Zoom and Tesla and C uh, and, and you know, like a bunch of others. And I think Fastly might have been one. They were the really like very early to hit new 52 week highs and, and they kind of led the way out of the crash. And so one of the interesting things is people often want to buy the weakest names they say oh well it was 100 now it's at 30 and so there's so much upside to get 200 but and mathematically that might be true but that also means there's a mountain of overhead supply and so so whereas you think if you're buying a, a, a stock that's already at new all-time highs like everyone's in the money you know and everyone's happy you know and everyone's kind of riding that thing and definitionally multi-baggers have to hit a lot of all-time highs they've got to hit high off the high after high after the high and so you know these these multi baggers often. That's actually that's the best time to, to buy them. It's you know coming out of these, they're breaking out of the bases, they're breaking out to new all time highs after these sort of market wide corrections, and people um, describe it as like pushing a basketball underwater. Um, it's like an it's like an artificial kind of weight, and then as the, as the as you release the pressure on the basketball, it just explodes upwards, and that's where you get these kind of monster winners from. Um, so, so, so you want to be holding, and so I think we're going through a correction now in the growth space. I don't know when it's going to end. There's um, various sort of macro factors at play, but I think I think it won't. Odds are, it won't be the class of 2020 names that'll that'll lead the next sort of cycle for kind of let's call it mid cap growth. Um, but what I'm waiting for, and I, I don't think we're there yet, and I'm not going to try to pick a bottom. Like, I want to see those names that are showing relative strength, like above moving averages, hitting sort of 52-week highs, not, maybe not all-time highs, but 52-week highs first um, that are producing those big earnings. And then the content, yeah, you know, like those will be, you know, history has shown that those are often the names that kind of lead the way on the next cycle. But again... It's a, it's an 18 month window. It's a, it's a two-year window. Um, But that's really a time to sort of maximize those returns. And you want to squeeze as much juice out of, out of that as you can. And then just realize that, okay, these things have a kind of a repeatable cycle. It's not a cookie cutter template, but these are kind of patterns and just be kind of wise to that, you know, Um, that's sort of the, that's sort of the playbook that I'm, kind of looking for, um, prospectively, but, but I can't say it's, it's hard to say that, um, I I don't have, I'm still kind of working on, on the precise kind of, precise is not the right word, but I'm still working on the kind of the the playbook and the checklist for, you know, coming out of the correction, but conceptually, that's where I'm at As, as to the sort of exact mechanics. I'm, I'm still figuring that stuff out. Right.
0: Okay, no, that that's pretty interesting. Um, the yeah, because a lot of these stocks are corrected 50% and for them to get back to 50 two week highs, like what but you also said that these stocks that are probably decimated are likely not to be the leaders of the next run. So if they get back to high, hundred percent return and then you know like the thing i admire about traders is there there's no such thing as anchoring it's like a completely different uh criteria and therefore anchoring is not even in the picture have you found that you know um i've got a lot
1: so like c was just an amazing stock for me and uh, i mean i really love that company And then I, then I sold the shares and it's still a great company, but if I'm honest, I could not give Rocks a Nazi. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's in my past or like I did well out of Square or or Roku or Fiverr. I sold them. It's just, it's just another stock. And so like a lot of people will say, they're companies, they're not stocks. They're not just piece of paper. Well, yes, they absolutely are. <laughs> they are both. Like both can be true, you know. Um, and so you sell the stock and you realize, okay, it's just the stock. Like on to the next one. That's fine, you know. So that's 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 it for me. I'm on to the next one, you know. Um, I would. It would be great to own C again. It would. It would be. It would be great to own Cloudflare again. And I'm. I'm really bullish and optimistic in terms of what Cloudflare can do in the future. I, I think, I had a thesis that, that I think Cloudflare could become a multi-hundred billion dollar company. Could. I don't know what probability to attach to that. Um, and if it is, I'm gonna have another opportunity to own it. And I'm gonna have another opportunity to own it in size and it could, could make a really difference. But that realistically, that day is not today. Um, and yeah, so so that whole that whole cohort that I've earned before, I'll keep an eye on them. Uh, but now it's up to them to prove that they can be multi-baggers again. It's not, it's not for me to to prejudge that C is going to be another multi-bagger. It's like, okay, execute share price needs to set up. And then and then uh, you will have my love once again.
0: <laughs> um. Really interesting, Nick. Thanks for sharing all of this and being super open. Um, I mean, I've kept you long enough, but just thank you for your time and uh, your honesty.
1: Hey, Ron, and, and thank you for, I mean, you always do such a great job with your questions and um, with, you know, uh, and, and like the work that you're doing with Investing City and I'm just a uh, huge respect for you. And um, yeah, I just, I hope people can take, Something useful away from it, and and you know, you might not agree with with everything I say. That's fine, and just you know, really try and apply it to your own. But if you take one thing away, then then that's helpful, and that would be great, and just apply it to your own circumstances. Um, But but thanks very much, Ryan I, I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Nick.